Hello and welcome to John Cook Ministries Podcast. I'm John Cook. Hello and welcome to this, our continuing study on the pastoral epistles. This is lesson number six. And this is part number one of lesson number six. Now for the previous, for the previous studies on 1 Timothy, or I should say on the pastoral epistles, which cover 1 and 2 Timothy and the book of Titus, Paul the apostle is writing to young pastors in each of these books and we're going we're teaching this in order to teach young pastors what God expects of them and what God would have each of us as pastors to do now the previous lessons have been recorded and are now available on my YouTube channel at the address scrolling across the screen. I'll try to remember to take that address and put it into the description on my Facebook page in order for you simply uh, to link to it. So this morning, we want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. So let's look at the Bible at what God says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, let me see. I need to get my slides to come up here. So take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Sorry about that. I was ahead of myself. And, and while you do that, I would remind you that we need to understand that this book, this chapter in 1 Timothy, is one of the most hated books, or one of the most hated chapters in the Bible, because it strikes at man's God. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5, the scripture says, and listen to this, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. In our day and time, we hear a lot of prosperity preaching. A lot of people saying, that if you serve God, everything's going to be just, you'll be rich and you'll have everything you need. They suppose that gain is godliness. But the scripture doesn't back that up. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7, the scripture says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I remember a story years ago I heard where this man said, well, if I can't take it with me, I ain't going. 
Well, the reality is, is we are going to leave this world. Life has a death sentence as far as the physical side of us is concerned. We are going to leave this world, and just like when we came into this world, we brought nothing with us. When we were born of our mother and dad, well, when we live, leave this world, God says, you're taking nothing with you. So whatever you're stocking up right now, somebody else is going to spend because you're not going to take it with you. Verse 9 of chapter 6 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Do you see that? You want to be rich? You want lots of money? You want to have everything that this world offers? Well, the Bible says if you want to be rich, then you're going to bring upon yourself a temptation and a snare. The truth of the matter is, is that the Bible says, and not only will it bring about temptation and a snare, please forgive me, I'm a, I'm a little nervous doing this. I'm not too used to doing live stream yet. Now, I'm, I'm trying to get used to it. But you know, I'm kind of an old man, and, uh, and it's difficult to get used to something new uh, when you get old, you know. But anyway, uh, the scripture goes on to say, and into many foolish and hurtful lust. Now watch what happens, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So what is the outcome of desiring to be Rich is, the Bible says, destruction and perdition. Destruction and the ending, you bring condemnation on yourself. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9, or verse 10 goes on to say, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, the newer Bibles change that. They change it many cases. They change it to all kinds of evil. But God doesn't say all kinds of evil. God says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's what's behind all evil. Which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, you fall in love with money, you'll take off from serving God. The Bible tells us about a fella whose name was Demas. He was a faithful worker with the Apostle Paul. But one day, the Bible says, he fell in love with this world. And the Apostle Paul writes, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The love of this world will lead you into destruction, will lead you into 
turning away from serving God. You better be careful. Chapter 6 and verse 17 of 1 Timothy says, Charge them that are rich in this world. Now this means this is a direct command from God for pastors to charge those in their church or not in their church, but those that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So we're not to trust in riches. But rather, we're to trust, the Bible says, in the living God. Because he gives us all things to enjoy. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. So each of these verses are hated by those who are in love with money, in love with riches in this world. Another problem with this book or with this chapter and many problems that you find as you go through Scripture is how it deals with servants, what we call slaves. I think it can be applied devotionally to us as servants to those that we're employed by. But biblically, he was speaking to slaves of that day. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1, which is the verse we're dealing with today. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So God is telling those that are servants Slaves of that day, and I think servants of today, how they're supposed to respond to those they serve. This behavior is not a recommendation from God. It's not a suggestion from God. This behavior is commanded by God. The Bible says, let as many servants. So this speaks to all that are employed by somebody, which really, as an old John Wayne movie showed years ago, everybody's employed by somebody. All of us work for somebody. Well, as many as are servants, which would mean all of us, all that are under the yoke, this is a yoke of responsibility, a yoke of service. Well, here's what God wants us to do. Count their own masters worthy of all honor. So what are we to do? We are to 
account our masters. That's those that employ us. And for the slaves of that day, those that they were slaves to, count them, the Bible says, worthy of all honor. That's respect. We don't quite see it that way, do we? But God does say that. You want to see a picture, an example? Here's a lady named Hagar. She is a bond slave to Sarai, the wife of Abram. She feels like she's being mistreated, so she runs away. And of course, under the thinking of all today, it was okay to run away. But, in, but God doesn't see it that way. In Genesis 16, 9, the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. He didn't say run away. He didn't say find another path. He said go back. And notice that the word that he uses for her is to submit. Boy, that's a word we don't like. A word that goes totally against our grain. Excuse me, I got to lick my lips so I can move my notes out of the way. <laughs> that's a word we don't like. A word that we run away from. And that's the word, that's submission. So, this is what God tells us we're supposed to do, by example. Because the Bible says these things are written for an example for us, that we might learn thereby. So we're to learn to, to honor, to do the job that we've been hired for. And we as pastors are given the responsibility to exhort those that we minister to, to exhort them to be what God wants them to be. In this case, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Now, I want you to notice what a servant is supposed to do. He's to be, number one, obedient. He's to obey. That's another word we don't like. Number two, he's to please his master. To please them well in all things. That means in what he does, he does To please the Lord, but in pleasing the Lord, to please his master. And final, and then the third thing in this scripture is not answering again. Not talking back. You know, among those that are hired today to work in the workforce, 
It doesn't come easy for us to keep our mouths shut. But it's still our responsibility, not talking back. I think we need to learn that those that God has allowed to be our boss, that we're to obey them. And as much as they do not contradict the word of God, we're to obey them. I remember years ago, I worked for a company in Anaheim, California. When I went to work the first day, over the boss's desk was a sign, and this is what it said. Rule number one, the boss is always right. Rule number two, in the event that the boss appears to be wrong, refer to rule number one. Now, I know this. In our stubborn, rebellious world that we live in today, that doesn't go over very well with us. Because it contradicts what we believe. We think we know better. But God says, be obedient. Please them. Not talking back to them. And not only that, but in Titus chapter 2 and verse 10, he says, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Notice, not purloining. Purloining is a word that means no stealing. Quit stealing. Quit robbing the boss. You know, if you're hired to do a job and you don't give the boss your best work, you're stealing. He's paying you for your best. You're stealing from him. And in, in type, or in fact... We're stealing from God because we're not giving God our best. Then he says, in all good fidelity. That word fidelity means loyalty. It means you're loyal to the guy that you serve. Now, if he called for, for loyalty on the part of slaves then how much more is it important for us as servants, as employees, to be loyal to those we work for, to give the best, not set ourselves up with somebody else? Now, why would we do these things? What's that, five things, I think? Why would we do these five things? Well, God says that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. To adorn means to dress it up, make it look good. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to dress up the doctrine of our God. 
So by our behavior, we are showing this world what God's word teaches us to do. We're to dress it up, make it look good. And that's what he's calling on us to do. And that's what God wants us to do. The consideration that he's calling for, the attitude. He says, count their own masters worthy of all honor. That's the the consideration we're to give to our bosses, if you will, today. To those that are our employers. Just as a slave in that day was responsible to count his masters worthy of all honor, so we are to count our employers as worthy of all honor. Man, there's another one that goes contrary to what men say today. Men's expectations. He's supposed to honor me. I'm the, I'm the employee. No, you're supposed to honor him. That's what God tells you. I mean, you can do it your way if you want to. But the outcome is, is that it isn't going to work out well for you. Now, he uses a word that says count. That word count means to consider and esteem deserving. Just like you count up how much money you got. You see how much money you got. Well, you see what he deserves. And according to God's word, you see him as deserving all honor. Honor is a word that means respect and to treat someone respectfully. To respect someone. You know, we we live in a world that's so wrapped up in self-worth that we think that it's the world's job to respect us. But God says it's your job, employee, It's your job, servant. It's your job, slave, to treat respectfully those you serve. Now, a good example of that is found in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Let me read it to you. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. (laughs) Now think about this. Here's a man who is a Gentile serving a Gentile nation. And God had used this Gentile to deliver Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. You know, no matter how good things are going, this, things can go bad too. He was a leper. And the Syrians, they're looking back now, the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel 
a little maid, a young lady, a young girl, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So what she said was, she saw the leprosy of Naaman and said to his wife, Would God my Lord, Naaman, she said, is my Lord. Think about that. Worthy. She said, if he just go to Israel, to Samaria, he'd be recovered of his leprosy. When, Le when Naaman goes, we know that he does recover from his leprosy because he does what the prophet of God tells him to do, even though he didn't want to. But the point of this is, is that notice her attitude towards Naaman, who quite possibly brought her back captive. Was it a attitude of respect and loyalty? That's what we need. If she could have it, then we as God's people who are employed by others to serve, we should respect them just like this young girl respected Naaman. Now why? What's the whole point of all of this? I mean, why does God expect me to respect those that I'm serving? Well, the scripture says that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. The name of God is important. And his doctrine is equally important. And when we misbehave ourselves, we are causing the world to have cause to blaspheme the name of our God, to blaspheme his doctrines, what he tells us to do. Did you ever stop to think that God's name and doctrine are worth more than our will? I just want my way. Getting your way may just bring blasphemy upon the name of God and his doctrine. And it's not worth it. God's word, the doctrine, and God's name is worth more than what I want for myself. It's worth more than me getting my way. Why? Because the responsibility is back there where we read before, that we may adorn, not 
bring blasphemy upon the name of God and his doctrine, but that we may adorn, dress up the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, in what we do, in our behavior, in our attitude, in all things, we are to bring respect or we are to bring glory to the doctrine of God, bring glory to the name of God, adorn it, dress it up, make it look good. You know, I can't preach like others can. I can't teach like others can. I can't be somebody else, but I can be all that God wants me to be, and I can do all that God wants me to do. And that's all God asks of me. It's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. And pastors, we are stewards of the Word of God. And young pastors, you're being trained to be stewards of the Word of God. And He requires of us faithfulness. And that means faithfulness to the Word of God and to the name of God, that we might adorn His doctrine and His name. How we live, what we do, is important because it's our testimony. Our living preaches to men. Matthew 5 at verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you understand that God wants us to shine bright like the moon at night shines the more it reflects of the sun, the brighter it shines. The more we reflect of Jesus, the brighter we shine. Let your light so shine. Let it shine bright. And notice, it's before men. Before men. That's letting men see what we do. In fact, that's what he says, that they may see. We want, God wants us to live our lives so bright, reflecting the, the light of our Lord Jesus Christ to this world and before men, that that light is so bright that it shows our works so that they can see our good works. Listen, men see what they want to see many times. And they're looking for the opportunity to blaspheme the name of God. They're looking for the opportunity to say that we contradict what we believe. And the tragedy is too often they're correct. We do contradict it. But that 
ought not to be. And that's not the way God wants us to live. But God wants us to so shine before men that they can see our good works. And notice, not glorify me. Not say what a good boy I am. But glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That what they see in our works here, they know is a result of our heavenly Father, who's working through us by his Spirit. And they'll look at us and say, yeah, I think this guy's real. Men are looking for opportunity to find fault with how we live. Opportunity, which we should never give them. And the only way we can avoid giving, giving them that opportunity is to live our lives in the light of God's word that men may see our works and glorify our heavenly father. We need to remember that we are the Lord's servants. That even if we're the servant of a man, if you were a slave, if you are a slave, and maybe there are some that are, that will hear this broadcast. Or if you're an employee of someone, and there's many that that can be true of. In fact, I've said already it can be true of all of us. Though we are servants, we are free. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21 and 23 through 23 says, Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. Use your freedom. For the he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. God has set us free. We don't serve today because we're servants. We serve today because God has given us liberty to serve in the light of his word. Likewise, also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. We have been called, and we've said that by that calling, we've been set free. But as a free man, as a free Christian, I'm now Christ's servant. You're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Wow. What a contradiction, it seems. Here's something that... We miss. When I got saved, when you got saved, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lamb of God who took our sin and paid for it and now washes us, washes us clean in his blood. We have been Bought with a price. Now we are the servants of the Lord. So as such, 
I'm not to be the servant of a man. Well, I thought I just heard that I was supposed to serve. Yes, but you're not serving that man. You're serving the Lord. What we do, we do as unto the Lord. We serve the Lord. And as a servant of the Lord, then God tells me, as a servant of the Lord, I must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, as unto the Lord. What I do, I do as the servant of the Lord. And I must not strive, I must not fight. I can't strive with the Lord, and I'm not supposed to strive with men, but be gentle as the Lord was. But be gentle unto all men, seeking to reach them through the love of the Savior, apt to teach, patient. That business about being apt, where is it? Apt to teach. What does that mean? It means being ready to teach, being able to teach. Well, how can I be able to teach? How can I make myself able to teach? That's why the scripture says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm not to strive. I'm to be gentle. I'm not out there picking fights. I'm there to introduce men to the Savior. And I'm there to be apt to teach them. And I'm to be patient. Why is it, excuse me, Why is it needed for me to be patient? Because you didn't get where you are today overnight. It took time. And you're not going to get out of where you are today without it taking time. In other words, bad habits came in because it took time to get them in. And good habits take time, take a lot more time to get, to get them out. So I'm to be patient as I deal with men. Be patient for God to work. Wait for God to work. Like the farmer waits when he plants the seed in the field. He waits. And he's waiting for God to work, even if he doesn't admit it. And what we do, we do as unto the Lord. Now, there are three different times, or I should say three occasions, when the Lord's name and his doctrine is blasphemed. In the first is a wife out of submission. Boy, this is going to be unpopular, what I'm 
going to read, but it's nevertheless the truth. God says for her to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Did you see that? Obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. God says if you're out of obedience to your husband, if you're not obedient to your husband, you are causing the word of God to be blasphemed. But God says, I don't want my word blasphemed. And so be obedient. It's not an easy job. Obedience is not easy for anyone. We're all, especially in our day and time, when we all want to be our own boss. So we oftentimes think we should be our boss when it comes to God and basically tell God what we will and what we will not do. And by that, the word of God is blasphemed. That's sad when you think about it. Another occasion is when the Jew does not obey his own laws. Romans chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 says, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Paul is speaking to Jews under the law who are making their boast of the law while they're breaking the law. And Paul says, by what you're doing, you're giving the Gentiles, the heathen, the opportunity to blaspheme the name of God. Now, we understand that we're not under the law today, neither Jew nor Gentile but under grace. But his point was, a Jew under the law who was breaking the law actually gave the Gentiles the opportunity to blaspheme God. The third thing, when a servant rebels against his master. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1, where we started out, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Then Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. That means you be subject to those that you're the servant to, not because they're good and gentle, but what if they're bad? What if they're mean? What if they, they're mean-spirited, as we say? Well, God says, be subject to them. 
If you're their servant, be subject to them. Why? Because God doesn't want his name blasphemed. So God tells us that he doesn't want his name blasphemed. And we can avoid being the cause of that blasphemy by obeying the scriptures. This then brings us to the conclusion of part one of lesson number six. And as we close today, I would remind you that God's name and God's doctrine is more important than my will or your will. And whether you like the scriptures or not, the word of God says what it means and means what it says, where it says it, as it says it, to whom it says it. We need to learn as pastors to exhort our people to obey God's word. And we need to obey God's word. Well, may God bless you till the next lesson. Hey, this is John Cook again. Thank you for listening to the John Cook Ministries podcast on the pastoral epistles. Now, before you go, how about take some time and leave us a comment or maybe a prayer request or what question do you have that we might be able to answer for you? And don't forget to subscribe to the John Cook Ministries podcast and you will get the next lesson just as soon as it is released. Well, we'll say goodbye for now. God bless.